Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, well, before I get started, Samuel, before you sit down, um, I'd like everybody to get, if you don't have a pen, I got pens. Hand out some pens. And uh, I have here three by five cards. Take at least two. Okay? If you run out of pens, there's more pens. Uh, so take at least two three by five cards. If you want more, don't take more than five. I only have a hundred of them. <clears throat> While he's passing those things out, I'll tell you what those are for in a minute. Um, we are studying 1 Corinthians. We're approaching a new section in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7 to 11. We're going to hear Paul dealing with answering some questions that the Corinthians must have asked. Each question is identified by the phrase, now concerning, and then he will answer the question. You can see that in the very first one that we're going to read in just a moment. Uh, but before we read any scripture, I'm going to take a pause here and... He'll continue handing those things out in just a minute. But I'm going to pause and pray, and then uh, we'll start with 1 Corinthians 7. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day again. I thank you that we're here. I just want to especially ask this morning, God, that you would be with me as I present your word. Help me to do it in a way that is accurate and clear. Lord, I pray that you'd be with all those in this room today, Lord, that they would believe in their hearts that you have brought them here today for a purpose and a reason and the reason today is to hear this particular message. God, I ask that they would see through what they might think they already know to hear, God, what your word has to say. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, Samuel, if somebody refuses to take a 3 by 5 card, let me know. And I'll have a firm word with them afterward. No, I won't. Um... 1 Corinthians chapter 7, while well, he's continuing there, 1 Corinthians 7, you don't need the 3 by 5 cards yet, so it's okay that he's still passing them out, don't fret. Uh, verse 1, Paul says, now concerning, so there you go, right? So he's, he must have gotten some questions at some point. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and he quotes them, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now this might seem odd for those of you that have been with us for a while, because you might be thinking... Who wrote that at Corinth? It seems like they were having the exact opposite issue. Uh, after all, we've read so far in the first uh, six chapters, like, I don't think that's the problem that they were having. But yet, this is exactly what they write. And you have to understand that this church, this Corinth church, just like churches today, is not just one type of person. Looking around, I have lots of different types of people in here. You can just imagine the church in Corinth. Lots of different types of people, lots of different viewpoints, lots of, lots of different thoughts, struggles, everything. So clearly this church, like ours, had different things that they were facing. So I want to remind you first of the situation in this city. Okay? And I'm going to have a guy named Stephen Oom help me out. Uh, he puts it this way. He says, some members of the community, and this is in Corinth, and this had infiltrated the church, some members of the community were visiting prostitutes because prostitution was socially acceptable. It was more of a norm than an exception. That's, that's the city that they were living in. 
The Corinthian culture believed that marriage was not the place where one could experience sexual fulfillment. A little heads up warning, I'm going to use that word sex a lot of times this morning. I used it a lot last week. I know some of you are like, can we say that in church? You might be going along with chapter or verse 1 there. Um, this, what he's talking about, might seem odd to us. But for them, marriage was more of a social thing to expand property and business. Okay? Um, it was to make connections. In fact, uh, many of their marriages uh, were more like father-daughter or uncle-niece type relationships because they had married somebody that was so much younger than them and it was just for purposes of political or social things to try to gain business or to expand their business, things like that. Um, like Stephen Um said, sexual fulfillment was sought outside of the marriage. I got to be honest, I don't think that their culture was that much different than our culture. To be blunt, that's what I'm saying. And as one of my commentaries mentioned, internet pornography or pornography in general is our prostitution of today. People seek fulfillment outside of marriage in a variety of ways. And for many, that has become acceptable even amongst Christians. In the Corinthian church, it had become acceptable among some of their members. And this is what Paul had been addressing. But don't think for a moment that everyone was the same. A significant portion had swung the pendulum in the opposite direction. That's what we're dealing with in verse 1. So let me pop that first verse back up there. Okay? Just like for us. The pendulum had swung. So they had Christians that had swung way over here. And we're kind of going along with their culture. But then you had some, clearly from this verse, that had gone clear to the other end of the spectrum. In fact, that word that's translated, have sexual relations with, is just one word in the Greek. And some of your versions actually say it with the word that is used, and it's the word touch. And so these Corinthians, some of them had said, well, it's not good. It's, it's good for a man not to, have, not to even touch a woman. Okay? Uh, that word is interesting on a side note. The, this word that's translated have sexual relations with or touch it is a word that literally means touch, but it's a word that is sometimes translated like the way you would take a match and touch the wick of a candle. And so sometimes this word is translated kindle or, or light something. So you, can you see the connection there? Not even touch, because you're sparking something, buddy. This isn't in my notes, but I have to say, this is actually not that much different than what we experience in churches. Because you have one of the spectrum where some people are like living however they want, but then you have a whole group of Christians over here that... They don't want to touch it even in conversation. Don't even touch that topic. Let's not even go there. We can't talk about it. And yet here I am in church. I'm talking about it, right? Why am I talking about it? Because that's what Paul's talking about. In fact, I was thinking this morning again, as I'm going through what Paul says later, some of you, I will not be surprised if some of you will walk away today going, I can't believe the Bible talks about that the way Paul does. You're going to hear some things, you're going to go, that's in the Bible? Yes, it is. You're going to be kind of surprised about some of the things that you hear today. The rampant immorality of the Corinthian people that Paul had been addressing had swung to the opposite end of the spectrum. So you had people in the church and they must have, I wonder, actually I wonder, do you remember that he had heard that this other stuff was going on? Do you remember that from chapter 5? I got to be honest, I wonder if it was this group over here that had were the ones that had written Paul, because then they, they had also written this statement here. I, isn't it right, Paul? It's good for, we shouldn't even touch 
the woman. Right? That's where Paul had gone. Which means there's something that I need to talk about today. I'm going to introduce it with a video clip. You turn up the volume just a touch. Got to get that organ music going. Oh, I think if you just turn it, oh, you have to restart it. There you go. Together today. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm sorry. Some of you, if you knew I was getting ready to talk about marriage, may have thought, if you know me well, may have thought that's how I was going to introduce it anyway without the video clip. Today, we're going to talk about marriage. <laughs> marriage is what brings us together today. You were thinking that I was going to do that, weren't you? I'm sorry. Comedic relief. I will say, though, that when I bring up this topic, here's my concern. Um, and Charity knows this because we've been talking about this. Here's my concern. I have this gut feeling, and it makes it difficult for me to preach. I'm just being completely honest with you here. It makes it difficult for me to preach. You will find, if you're listening carefully to me, I will tend to talk fast. I talk fast sometimes when I feel like people might not be interested in what I'm saying. Okay. I'm afraid that if I talk about this topic, there are a few of you who go, I really want to hear about this, but some of you are going to go, I don't need to hear about this. That's my, that's my internal, it may not be true. I'm just telling you, that's, that's my struggle. I read some of you in this room, because we've got a variety of people in here. We've got married people. We've got people who have been married or newly married. We've got people that have been married for a long time. We've got people who are are no longer married, whether it's divorce or they're widows or widowers. We've got people who've been separated. We have single people in here. We've got a whole spectrum of situations. I want you to know that Paul deals actually with every single one of them in the Bible. He talks about these situations. This is one of the reasons why the book of Corinthians is so valuable because he goes down and he, he deals with these things. Now, as I go, now you got two, everybody have two three by five cards at least? Um, one of them set aside the other one. Um, okay, so one of them, I'm going to tell you what to write on the other one. The other one. As we're going through today, what I'd like you to do is as I'm going through, because there's going to be some questions that might pop up, pop up when I'm talking about what Paul's saying. So I'm going to say some things that Paul says. I'm going to say some things that the Bible says. And there's going to be a lot of potential uh, scenario type questions. Okay? And you're going to go, well, what about this situation? What about this? Or what about this particular issue? Or what about this? And jot it down. And if I don't get to it today, or even if I do and you're not satisfied with the answer, go ahead and leave it on there. And you can put more than one question or more than one comment on one of those three by five cards. And at the end of the service, um, that it's normally an offering box right there at the back wall. If you want to take that 3 by 5 card where you put those questions and comments and like what if scenarios and what about scenarios, if you get to any of those, feel free to write that down. Well, what about this? I don't care what anything that pops in your head. You're like, well, wait a minute. What about this? Or if I say something you disagree with and you go, I don't know if I agree with that. I think you're seeing it wrong. I think it should be this. Write it down. 
Okay, if you don't want to put your name on it, you don't have to. It's okay. If you want to, you can. It's not going to bother me either way. But afterwards, you can write down, fold it so it can fit in that little slot and drop it in there. And at the, after the service is over, I'm going to collect all of those and take a look at them. I'm going to read through every single one of them. And anything I don't get to, if I don't get to it today, there's Wednesday night service that we have here where it's a, more of a discussion time. We can talk about some of those things then. Uh, and then, frankly, I was going to try to squeeze this all into one message, but the more I tried, the more I was going, this is way too much to deal with in one week. As Paul talks about a lot of things. And so some of this is going to bump over into next week. I say that concerned that some of you are going to go, oh, we're going to have my marriage again next week. Forget it. I'll just stay home. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. This is an important topic for every single one of you in this room because Paul talks to every single one of you in this room on this issue, no matter what your situation scenario is. I also want to throw in there before I go any further, um, because I was going to th start throwing in statistics, but I think most of us know the statistics and how marriage is seen in our country and in our world today. I was going to throw that in there, but I don't think it's necessary. Marriage, how it's defined, how it's handled, how it's discussed, is being altered by our society. We have to stop and ask the question, is this God's view? I don't know if you know this, but do you know who invented marriage? You guys know? God did. It was his idea. One of his best, I think. There's something else that he invented that's part of marriage. Close your ears, Sophia. Sex. Who invented that? Only one person said anything. Let's try that again. Thank you, honey. <laughs> Who invented that? God did. Number one, that means he's got some things to say about it. Number two, that means it's not evil in and of itself. It was his idea. And I know this is not appropriate for church, but I also think that was also one of his best ideas as well. Sorry. Now, sorry. Nothing I say today about marriage, divorce, singleness, or remarriage is meant to discourage, defeat, or destroy anyone in this room. I want you to understand that. Because it's easy to hear these things, because you may find that how you've been viewing marriage or how you've treated it or how it's gone for you, even things that are out of your hands. And it would be easy for some of these things that God says about it to be discouraging, defeating, or feeling like it's destroying you. That is not the purpose at all, and that's not God's purpose. It ought to be actually expected that we have been viewing and doing things incorrectly. We're human beings. This ought not to discourage us, but to encourage us. The invitation is always open to change how we view the world and to adopt God's way of viewing the world. No matter where you're at, what you've been, what you've done, how you've seen things, how you've handled things, right or wrong, the invitation is always open for God to say, come, come to my way of thinking. Adopt this. It's better. It's the best. Change how you view it. See how God sees it. Nothing that we've said, done, or thought will ever stand between you and him. Between you, and we use a biblical word, repentance, which just means changing your mind. 
So as we talk about marriage, let's go back to the beginning. Very briefly, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, says this. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What is this man's name? Adam. Good job. Adam was then put to work in the Garden of Eden. Uh, work came before sin came into the world. Work is a good thing. God put man to work. Naming the animals was one of his jobs. Adam began to notice something different. There's counterparts, these animals. And so Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, um, talks about Adam realizing this, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Don't look at that word helper in a negative light. The Bible actually in Psalms calls God our helper. Okay? It wasn't found one for Adam. So interesting that before there was sin in the world, God let Adam notice a deficiency. Genesis chapter 2, continuing on, verse 21 and 22 says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib, he made man out of the dust of the ground, but of that rib, what does he make? Or God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last. I think we're seeing the first wedding marriage ceremony. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Woman taken from a rib, I think symbolic for a lot of reasons, but my two favorite, I think taken from the side to be equal, taken from under the arm for protection. There's so many things that I just love about this whole picture that God has presented in the way he's brought these things about. But here we have the creation of the first man, the first woman, and that phrase there, therefore a man, because of this, because of how you were made, how you were created, your, your structure, because of that, that's what they're there for, man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let's skip forward to Jesus' teaching on this. Jesus says, in response to a question about divorce, did you know divorce was an issue back then as well? Absolutely. But Jesus says this, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave... See what he's doing here? He's quoting something, isn't he? We just read it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore, Jesus says, God has joined together. Let not man separate. It's the way it ought to be. This might be where the, some of you start throwing in and those questions, but what about, but what about, but what about? Those are good. The Bible deals with the whatabouts. Okay? In fact, the text that I'm reading from goes on to talk about that where Jesus talks about divorce. Um, understand the Bible's teaching a divorce might seem challenging, but it is only because of its even higher teaching on what marriage ought to be. Okay. 
This is going to be very clearly seen when we get to Paul's teachings in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere. But let's go elsewhere first. Let's head to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians, Paul does some teaching on marriage. Uh, I've actually previously talked about this. We preached through Ephesians a few years ago. Um, Paul does some teaching on marriage. And at the, right at the end of it, he says this. And this, I think, is one of the most profound statements in Scripture when it comes to marriage. He says this. He quotes again um, this statement from Genesis. So he goes all the way back. He says, Therefore man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says these words. This mystery, like that word already, this mystery is profound. And I, Paul, Paul who was single, says I'm, it's, that's a profound mystery. And he goes, and I am saying that it refers to, the marriage refers to Christ and the church. Now, I have to be careful because I could talk for a long time just about these things. But I want to offer a bit of a summary. Two reasons, I think, to understand from scriptures about marriage. Why? Number one, marriage, and I phrase this carefully, marriage seems to be God's answer to an aspect of man's aloneness. Why do you think I chose that phrasing? Anybody want to contribute? Why do you think I chose that phrasing? Come on, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I tried to phrase it just right, but why, why do you think I may have chosen that phrasing? Yeah, it, it's not enough. And notice I put aspect of man's aloneness. Now, why would I say it would even be an aspect of man's aloneness? Can you think back to what, what think back Genesis? What was the issue that Adam was dealing with before woman? What, what does it say? He didn't find what? A helper. So some aspect of Adam's like, I'm alone. And he had God, but some aspect of it, God's solution to that was, you, you, there's not a helper fit for you. He creates woman. And he creates, in that moment, he creates marriage. Okay? So, number one, biblically speaking, why marriage? Number one, it, just an aspect. Understand that Paul, when he's saying all these things about marriage, Paul is a single person. So please understand, those of you that are single in the room, this is not time to tune out. It's also not time to say, well, is there an aspect of aloneness that I could... Paul actually talks about that too, okay? So that's why I said seems. Seems is an important word for me to throw in there. I almost didn't have it. I'm like, no, it seems to be that way. Because of number two and because of what Paul threw in there. Number two... Marriage is truly meant to be a picture of God's answer to man's ultimate aloneness. I'm going to quote Stephen Um again. Now, if you would like to, I'm going to leave that up there for just a second because I see some of you writing. Um, if you'd like to put those two reasons on that first 3 by 5 card that you're not putting questions on, that's why I said take at least two. So one, I'd like you to put those two reasons on there. Okay? So which means I'm going to be teacherly and I'm going to stop. And I always like to watch. Some are frantically writing. Got to get it down. You ever find when you're trying to copy these things, you, you read like five words and then you go to write and you can only remember the first two? Marriage seems to be God's answer to... Marriage, se marriage seems to be God's... Seems to be God's... Marriage seems to be God's answer to... Seems to be God's answer... 
I'm sorry. I'll give you some time to jot. Feel free to critique. The, those are my two points in my attempt to summarize some big ideas. Like I said, feel free to critique those. We can talk about those things. You go, I don't know if you should have had seams in there. I don't know if it should be aspect. Whatever you want to think about it. So in one three by five cards, you're going to have those two things. I'm going to reference those later. I see most of you are getting close to being done. A couple more writing. You can be like my kids at school, and I saw Mr. Osgood do it. You know what my kids at school do? Notes, I need to remember these? Got it. Take out the phone. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> it's actually really smart. I, I get it, why, why kids do that, because it's so much faster. Like, Got it. All right. Stephen Um, if you're not done copying, hopefully the person next to you got it all. Okay, here we go. I think most. He says, though marriage is a blessing, a gift, a calling, and a place where Christians can find deep satisfaction, it is not the source of ultimate satisfaction. Man, that is so important. But listen to what he says next, and there's going to be a vocab word in here. Human marriage is penultimate. Now, penultimate is not a, a product of Bic pens. This is penultimate. It's like the best ink ever. No. Penultimate is a word that it literally means, okay, so you got ultimate, and one step down from ultimate is penultimate. That's what the word means. Just one step away. Okay. Human marriage is penultimate because there is an ultimate marriage that will outlast it. I love that sentence. Marriage, not ultimate. It's penultimate. Because there is a marriage that will outlast it. What is the marriage, what is the marriage that we're talking about here? What did Paul say it was a marriage between? Christ and who? The church. Christ and the church. I love that when you get to the end times things, one of the things that's going to happen in the end times, there's going to be a supper. Anybody know what kind of supper it's called? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Where Christ is united with His bride. For all of eternity. It makes my wife sad to talk about aspects of this when I say, it's not ultimate, we love each other. But this is not... This is penultimate. It's not ultimate. Marriage has that twofold purpose. One part of humanity's fulfillment, but not ultimate fulfillment. But part two, pointing us, and this is one of the most important things that we bring up when we talk to people who are getting married or have been married or struggling in their marriage. Marriage is pointing us as a picture to all that God is for His people and all that His people are for Him. That's the bigger purpose of marriage. The world gets this very wrong, does it not? Don't many treat marriage as ultimate? Like to really be happy, I've got to find the right person. What happens 
here's a, there's a problem. Even, even, even people who are not Christians say the problem with this, um, one philosopher I, re- I was reading this week, I, I should have jotted his name down, said the problem with that philosophy is you never find the right person. Because there's no perfect person. And then even if you find somebody that's just right, you just brought you into the marriage. And you got issues. But that's not what it's about. What is it about? It's, it's meant to picture something bigger, grander, something ultimate. So let's jump back in to 1 Corinthians. On your one little 3x5 card, you got these two things, hopefully. And I want you to think back to these as we, we start going through, because Paul is going to give us some very, very practical, applicable teaching. He's taking some big ideas about marriage and what it is, and I think it's these two ideas here, and he's going to play those out in some practical things. And we're not going to get through every scenario this week. There's no way. I don't think I could even get through every scenario if I just went through the scenarios in this church. Right? So we've got to take some time. But I love that God in his ultimate, infinite wisdom has seen fit to inspire the Apostle Paul to deal with these things in a practical way that some of these verses I could just read to you. I mean, it's just so clear. So let's jump back in. So there was a group, before I click, there was a group, remember, that were struggling over here. Uh, You remember the scenario in chapter 5? There was a man who was with somebody. Who was he with? His stepmom. Right? There was immorality. There was prostitution going on with some believers in the church, thinking that was still okay. The other end of the spectrum, we've got this other group that Paul's addressing now that says, well, this can go bad places. It's quite possible that there were some in the church because they felt like it was close to the end. Like, we, we shouldn't even go this path, even in their marriages. Don't we ought to be completely, the, the right word is ascetic, uh, ultimate self-discipline. I can't give in to anything at all, even within the bounds of marriage. So there's this group over here that swung way over here, like we can't, that's, we don't talk about it, we're not going to deal with it, don't even touch, it's going to light a fire. So Paul is now addressing them. You've heard, you guys have said this, and concerning this, I need to say these things, and Paul goes into verse 2. And you may find this, this is where I know that those of you that are not long students of the Bible, you're going to read some of these things, you're going to go, hmm, I didn't know the Bible said that. Listen to what Paul says here. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, Greek word, what do you think the Greek word is here that's translated sexual immorality? Come on, you guys have been with me for a while. What's the Greek word? Pornia. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Well, we got a word, pornography, right? Pornia is meant to encompass all aspects of any uh, a version of sexual immorality, including looking at pornography. Um, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. See, do you see that glimmer? Now, if you're looking at your two points, is there a glimmer of that help in marriage that Genesis talks about? If this is a struggle, there, there's, there's something for that right here. This is meant to be a help for that. This is not to say, oh, if you're struggling with that, just, you can just go over here and do this as often as you want. That'll solve it. No. This person, this person is a help. In fact, I love how it says, each have his own. 
Each woman have her own. There's uh, ideas of this, this ownership of each other involved right in this thing. We see hints of that second idea wrapped up in those words, his own, her own. Paul writes uh, in Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This thing that's his own, her own. You're looking at this other person and you're thinking, "You're, you're mine. Not in a possessive way. Do you see the difference? Christ in his, you're my church, isn't saying, you're mine, I'm going to use you for myself. He's saying, you're mine, I will, I'll die for you. The words, similar, but oh so different, are they not? Now, pause. This is where some of you that are not married might go, you know, how, let me ask you a question. Who in here knows somebody that's married? No, you know, you've, you've met any married people? Yeah? <clears throat> you can be a support to those people. Before we even go, I mean, there's so many other things I could say about it. But number one, right off the bat, his own, her own. So many things. I mean, I've lived long enough now. I've seen so many marriages destroyed because somebody outside of the marriage saw somebody inside the marriage and said, I want them for myself. Ignoring the his own, her own concept that the Bible lays out. You're mine. I'm yours. That's what we see here. We are his church. He is our savior. Christ died for the church to make it his own. So when we enter into marriage, or when we know people who are in marriage, that is their wife, that is their husband. They belong to each other, not to themselves. And we ought to do everything in our power to support and uplift that, ought we not? Everything. <clears throat> we ought not to be the type that go, oh, got to go back to the old ball and chain later. Is that uplifting and supporting? Absolutely not. It goes both ways, doesn't it? Be like some comedians who say we could be lonely and single or married and bored. <laughs> that, that uplifting? Is it even true? In the next few verses, we're going to see this played out even more. Paul's just so practical here. He's going to play out these in a very practical way. Um, picturing Christ in the church, keeping those things in mind, not as self-satisfying relationship, but as a giving relationship. Listen to what he says next. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. Again, this is another one of those verses that I got. I bet there's somebody in here going, that's in the Bible? Okay. Here's what I think is odd about this verse. What's translated here as give, usually in the Bible is translated as pay. Like you owe something. And the conjugal rights, that word is also translated quite often in the Bible as debt, pay your debt. That's literally, like if we were going to say, what is literally Paul saying? That's, that's what he's saying. This is a great translation because in the context, that's what it would have meant to them and that's what it means to us. But it's not about rights, it's about giving. Giving over. I'm, this is what you deserve. 
Notice it's not about, I'm going to get what I want. What's it about? I'm thinking about what, what do you need out of this relationship? What do you need? What is it that you want? What, and just imagine the relationship, a relationship built this way. Picture it as well in Christ and the church. A Christ who, who says, I'm going to go to the cross for the sake of my people. That mentality. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That mentality. Just imagine people that were to say, we're not just going to uphold marriage is what it ought to be, but we're actually going to try to live marriage the way Christ would have lived and will live the ultimate marriage. What if people started doing that? Can you imagine a relationship that's purely built on somebody saying, I'm here for you. It's not about me. That's scary. Because when you do that, what are you hoping for? that you have to let go of. Well, I hope they do the same thing for me. Did Christ do that when he went, when he went to the cross? He said, I'll go to the cross if you guys promise to follow me all your days. If you don't, I'm going to travel back in time because I'm God and I can do that. And I'll undo my going to the cross just for you. Did he do that? No. E even when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Taking that into a marriage relationship, it doesn't matter what you do. I will love you the way Christ has called me to do. If you want to have an interesting story I don't have time to go into, go to the Old Testament. Does anybody, anybody know where I'm headed with this? What Old Testament book pick, plays this out in a very real way? What Old Testament book is it? Hosea. I don't want to give away any spoilers. But you ought to read Hosea. And look at what God called that man Hosea to do. It's amazing. But it's a picture of what love really looks like. There's an emphasis in our culture that a fulfilled marriage is a me marriage. In fact, there's an article in the New York Times that is titled, The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. Now, I'm not going to say that every single thing, I read it again this morning, and not every single thing that the person says is completely off base, but the very premise is missing it entirely. It's about what do I get? Seeking a marriage for how it improves me. Christ gave himself up for the church. The self-sacrificial mentality ought to infiltrate every aspect of life and every aspect of married life. Verse 4. Paul's going to extend this. Keeps going with this thought. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, have you ever heard somebody say that the Bible is outdated Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hand if you have. I'd like to see. Anybody ever heard people say, oh, that's outdated? Okay, here's the, here's the problem with that. Here's, this is a great example verse of a problem with that. This, see, somebody would say, well, that's just, that's how it was in Paul's, that's not how it was in Paul's day. That verse right there? That, no, maybe the first half, but the second half, unheard of. Unheard of. I mean, Paul was not speaking about how it was in the Roman time period. And so people that go, well, the Bible's outdated. That Paul was speaking about how it was in his day. No, he was not. I mean, that's just a dumb, dumb response. I'm sorry if you've thought that. I'm not insulting you. But it's stupid. 
The Bible, the Bible, all through history, there's times where the Bible fits well with certain aspects of culture and these parts don't, and then sometimes these aspects fit and these don't, but the Bible stands supreme through all things. And we ought to expect some things in Scripture to go right along with what we think and some things to go averse. And even in that time period when it was written, it was the same way. What Paul said there was radically different than what their culture would have said. Especially that second, part, that second part. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. For a husband to say, this, this woman has authority over my body, that would have been completely unheard of in the Roman Empire. No way. Which means when we read the first half of that and we go, ain't no man got authority over my body. What's the scripture say? What does it say? Ideally, picturing this relationship between Christ and his people, it's beautifully played out as a picture of that when both are doing it. Right? Giving that authority over. I'm not for me, I'm for you. And the other one's saying, I'm not for me, I'm for you. <clears throat> the magnitude of statements like this uh, only makes sense when you understand, number one, this works. When you actually have two people both say, I don't care what you do. I think you can picture that. Can you imagine that for a moment? If both said that? Number, so number one, it works. I love that it, God's way works. It's better. Better than anything else. Better than the me marriage that the New York Times promotes. It's better. It works. But number two, when this is played out, there's an amazing opportunity to display for people in your bodies. I'm thinking back to even what Paul's been saying before. In, in your physical bodies, there's an opportunity to, to display. When my wife and I, if we're, if we're displaying marriage done this way, we're able to point to our own marriage, not out of pride, but to say, what you're seeing here, this is God working in us, but this is how God feels about his people. And this is how his people ought to feel about God. So you have an opportunity, those of you in this room that are married to, to picture something. Those of you that are not, you have an opportunity to uplift people who are trying and to support them. And when they start going astray, right, I think of it so often how Mary, something's going on over here. We're human beings, right? You think Charity and I argue sometimes? <laughs> Austin goes, nah. <laughs> yeah. Shelly's going, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, is it promoting this? If I'm like, if I come to you and I go, man, you wouldn't believe what she did. And you go, I can't believe she did that. But what ought you to do in those cases? Matt? What's that? Come on, everybody, she said. Come on. What, what ought you to do? If, if she's done something I think is wrong, or maybe it was wrong, and, and I come to you and I'm, I'm griping about it, what ought you to do in those cases? Yeah. It, are you going to sit there and listen to me? Like, tell me more about it. Oh, yeah. My old lady did even something even worse, right? <laughs> yeah, me too. You know. Is that promoting God's big picture view of what marriage is? 
Are you not in those moments degrading this image that God created to display his glory? Are you not degrading that by how you speak about it? Now this might be where there's, but what about, do you think the Bible is going to deal with those whatabouts? Absolutely. In fact, one of the next things that we're not going to get to today, one of the next things is that Paul deals with directly. He says, what do you do? Because the Corinthian people were dealing with it. Say, say a Corinthian woman got saved. Christian is brand new. She gets saved. She's married to someone who's not. What, what does she do? How does she handle it? What ought she to do? Paul talks about it. He said, this is what you do. He deals with it. But what I love about Paul in his singleness he uplifts marriage throughout. Because he knows, I think, it's about something bigger. It's bigger than just your fulfillment in this relationship that you have. It's bigger than that. You have an opportunity, Paul said. You have an opportunity in how you're dealing in these interactions. Every interaction, all the way into the bedroom, you have an opportunity to display the glory of God by how you love each other. And Paul says, you need to keep that in mind. In fact, he goes on next, and I'm almost done here today for the, as much as we're going to be able to get, get to. He goes on to say this. I'm just telling you, again, I know I've said it like five times. I know some of you, if, you, if it didn't happen before, some of you are going to read this one and go, that's in the Bible. I, each time I've gotten a little bit higher pitch, haven't I? That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. Right? That's it. What? Okay, so there's some things you read in the Bible. There's some things in the Old Testament I read. I'm like, what? Okay. Uh, yeah, Paul says this. Listen to what he says. Do not. It's not a suggestion, by the way. Do not deprive one another. Except perhaps, he says, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. And then he throws in a reason there. He gives an example reason. Except perhaps for an agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then, what's he say to do? What's he talking about? Okay, see, I'm the one that always has to say the word. What is he talking about when he says, but then come together again? Go ahead, somebody else say it. <laughs> you guys are hard to say in church. Right? Come together again. Why, he says, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's some times you may need to do this for these reasons, for these, some spiritual reasons, he says. But then just as spiritual, what does he say to do? Come together again. Uh, Paul Barnett says uh, his, the verb deprive could be understood as defraud or cheat. Uh, the word can be translated those ways. Highlighting once again, uh, once more, the emphasis on the responsibility to meet the needs of the other person. It's not just about me. Now this, this could be, this is another one of those times where you say, what about? What, what if uh, my spouse has cancer? Right? That's a good what about question, is it not? Physical issues? Those are good questions. That might be a what about question you might want to What about this scenario? What about this scenario? What about these things? Jot those questions down. I want to look at them. But in general, what's Paul's statement here? Don't, don't deprive each other. 
It's interesting that this is just as practical today as it was back then because some use that as a tool to get what they want. Is that not the case? I'll give you that if you fix the washer. <laughs> Matt, that's not church talk. But notice the purposes here that he says. Limited time for spiritual reasons. Now I'm going to go real quick through the next four verses. Paul says next, not as a concession, or now as a concession, not a command, I say this. Just want to pause on that verse for just a moment, verse 6. He's, when he says, as a concession, not a command, it doesn't mean that what he's getting ready to say next isn't in the Bible and it's not inspired by God. It just means he's not getting this from a, a, a command that came before him. Does that make sense? You'll see that a little bit more clearly in just a second. He says, not as a concession, uh, or now as a concession, not as a command, I say this. And I think especially he's thinking about in the times that they're living. Has persecution begun in the church in this time? Do you know? Yeah, it has. I think Paul's thinking about that. Has Paul been through a lot at the, by the time he writes this? Right? Physical persecutions? Yes. So he says, not as a concession, or as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. Single. It's interesting because we actually don't know if Paul was never married or if he was divorced by this point. There's a lot of evidence to say it could have been one or the other. A lot of people just assume he had never been married. But there's, there's a lot of grammar that's involved here. That means that he could have actually been, especially in the next couple verses here, when he says unmarried, he's talking about unmarried and he refers to himself as well, is a word that could have meant used to be married. Okay? As a concession, he says, I wish all were as I, my, I myself am. He's currently not married at the time of writing this. He says, but each has his own gift. Greek word here is grace from God. One of one kind and one of another. Now, he's going to deal with this a lot more. So you can hold that thought because he's going to talk about this more in, in coming chapters. Okay, what does this look like? And so you may have some what ifs pop up. What, all right? You may just put... Divorce, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Do you know my ex? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right? I mean, you may have to put that in. Like, do you realize? Uh, okay, you could, you could say, okay, that, those are good questions. I'm not afraid of those. The Bible's not afraid of those. Okay? Put those things down. But Paul says in the time that he's in, he goes, man, there's times I think he's saying, I, I, I think what this verse is, I think Paul's just going, there's times when I kind of wish everybody was in the situation I'm in. You know, when he was being hauled out of the city, he didn't have to think to himself, and he actually talks about this later, he didn't have to think to himself, what's my wife thinking? Not just this concern. But there, there's a little bit more of a willingness to put your life on the line when you don't have that family that you know might be depending on you. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. And so I think he's saying, man, there's times I wish this. Um, but each, he says, he acknowledges, each has his own gift, own grace from God. One of one kind, one of another. They're both from God. Singleness, marriage, 
each of these things, your state is of God. To the unmarried, two more verses, then I'm going to pause until next week. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. So if you're, he says specifically if you're in that state, um, in the next few verses, he's actually going to use the word remain, and this is going to be one of the focuses of next week. He's going to use the word remain several times in the next few verses. Interesting, interesting thing. I wanted to get it in today, but we, didn't have, we don't have time. To the married widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. And then he says this, but if they cannot exercise self-control, what should they do? What's he say? They should marry. It is better to marry than to what? Burn with passion. Now, I'm going to pause right there. Those last three verses are giving you hints at where Paul's going to go next. And so this is one of those to-be-continued moments. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping, I'm not just saying this, I'm really hoping that you guys had a lot of good questions that you might drop in the box back there because that will help me know where you, you might be at. Okay, I won't call anybody out specifically. I'm not going to be like, so-and-so had a question about, okay, I'm not going to do that. So, you know, you can put those things in there and I'll know where to place those things in. I guarantee you Scripture is going to deal with those. But I'd love to have some really good questions dropped in that box that I can take a look at through this week. So I might be able to address some of those either on Wednesday night or next, next Sunday. But I want you to grab that first card again. So you got your question card. Grab that first card again. And I want you to think about, begin thinking about whatever state you're in, whichever scenario. And we could have every single person in this room in a slightly different scenario. Whatever state you're in, what do you think about? And on the back of that, so you're going to flip that over. So you've got those two reasons on the front. On the back, I wanted to put, well, what do you think about those two things? Just you. I won't, this one's for you to keep. I'm not going to read it. You might put on the back there, and it makes me feel bad. It makes me you know, feel this way. It makes me feel good. I, I, it makes me understand the importance of this even better. It makes me, uh, I feel inspired to assist uh, I, some of you might write, I, I feel repentant for how I've treated this. Some of you might have to write down, I've been looking at marriage wrong. I've been looking at this wrong. I've misunderstood God's purposes. Where do you relate to God's thoughts? Now, if, if you're still in question about those two purposes on the other side, that's okay. You know, you can put that on the other card, question card. I don't know about the second one, or I don't know about that first one, if that's right. Put that on there, throw it in. But for that one, I want you to think, where's my place in this? Also put down there, what is your role? This one's a little bit easier to answer. If it's true that these are God's purposes, what is your role? If you're married, it's easy to look at and say, you know what, I've been kind of a selfish jerk. I need to be more selfless. That might be something you need, might need to put down. My role needs to be more self. I need to be more selfless in this marriage, right? Maybe just be. I, I've been looking at it wrong. I, I need to adjust my view. Maybe um, I've had some some good times. It, you know, it may be. This has encouraged me. I've been trying to live this out. My spouse hasn't. I've been thinking about giving up on this just because they haven't. Uh, when I, I read this, my role, I'm, I'm praying that I would continue. That's not prideful. If you've been striving to do what God wants you to do, that's not prideful to say, God, help me to continue. Help me to keep at it. 
But you may have to say, God, help me to keep at it even if they never do. God, maybe my role is to keep at it even if they never do. God, where, where do you want me to go with this? Maybe when you think of your role, you go, I don't know. Maybe your role is support. You know some married people, you know where they're at. Maybe you've got even people, your friends of yours that are struggling in their marriage and are coming to you. Maybe you didn't quite know how to respond. Maybe you've even found yourself responding the way the world would. And you gotta dump that guy. Ditch him quick. Maybe God sold you today. That's not step one. Uplift. How can you uplift? As you're thinking of those things, you can continue thinking of them as we go. Or we're going to shift gears, but only so slightly. Because this thing that we're about to do is remembrance. But Jesus says, um, <clears throat> when he does this with his disciples, does anyone remember what he says when he does this with his disciples? He says, do this in remembrance of me. But he also says, I, I will not partake of this again until when? Anybody know? At the Last Supper, he says, I will not partake of this again with you until, yeah, until we meet again where? Right? In paradise, in heaven. I think that that meeting again, the partaking again, I think this is not just remembering. It's also a looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb when Christ will be united with his bride, the church. And these marriages that we've had here, the ones that have sought to picture it, we'll get to see it in all of its glory displayed in Christ and his people.